It's a dog, I, and um, little, little reminders are outside. Welcome, it's, um, it's, it's a very special Grand Rounds. Uh, first of all, this is uh, a World Kidney Week. Tomorrow is World Kidney Day. And um, I really um, want to thank uh, Brian Remillard from Adult Nephrology and um, Adam Weinstein, who couldn't be with us today for Pediatric Nephrology, along with Chad and the Global Health Program for um, being able to host um, two uh, special guests for us, um, Dr. Pierre Cochat, who's the head of the International Pediatric Nephrology Association, as well as Dr. Judith Santis, who's the only pediatric nephrologist in Haiti, and uh, uh, somebody that I met last night, and I was very honored to meet both of you yesterday. Um, so um, we will be having a... Uh, um, Pierre and Judith, Dr. Kershaw and Dr. Zantis, with us uh, for the next few days. Uh, I want to remind the Global Health Interest uh, Group that we'll be meeting with, uh, with uh, Pierre and Judith uh, at 9.15 at Molly's Place for a, for a uh, Global Health discussion with our, with our team over here. And um, I want to introduce Pierre, who will be speaking today about the National Pediatric Nephrology Association and Pediatric Nephrology in the world. Um, he is a full professor of pediatrics from the University of Toulouse-Lyon uh, in Lyon, in France. Um, he's the head of pediatric nephrology, rheumatology, and dermatology from Hôpital Enfant. Sorry about my French. Uh, he's also the coordinator for the uh, reference uh, center for rare, rare uh, renal diseases in Lyon. He's the uh, coordinator also of the Pediatric Renal Transplant Program as well. Um, he completed his uh, medical degree in 1979 in uh, University of Toulouse, in Lyon. He um, completed his residency in pediatrics in 1985 and then went on to do a mastership in uh, pharmacology in 1989, as long as becoming uh, qualified in intensive care medicine in 1990. Finally, that wasn't enough. He went on uh, one year later to uh, complete his university degree in epidemiology. So, uh, without further ado, I wanted to introduce Dr. Pierre Kouchard to speak. for this uh, nice introduction. Uh, it's really my pleasure to be there with my friend Brian. Uh, we met about the, all the Haiti stories, so I'm very happy to be there with both Judith and Brian. Um, the first thing I would say is that uh, France and USA are the same because when we start uh, a lesson, a course, the first people who enter the theater sit in the back. It's the same. <laughs> I'm going to clip this to you so you don't have to hold on yes, the entire time. I'm not sure it works. Yes. It works perfectly. It works? Yes. Yeah. You guys okay. here? Okay. Okay, great. It's better. So, I will speak about this issue. Um, Brian asked me to speak about pediatric nephrology in the world, so I know you are not all pediatric nephrologists, but I will try to keep some interest uh, uh, about that for you. I have no conflict of interest. And um, this just shows you uh, what is the co present condition uh, in the world in, term, in terms of population. In 2020, we will have uh, 8 billion people in the world, and most of them, one-third, not most, but one-third of them are less than 20. So pediatrics uh, in, uh, until 20 is, is really a big uh, condition. We just have an estimate, because we cannot measure it accurately, we have an estimate of children with end-stage renal disease worldwide, and this number is uh, 150,000 to between 150,000 uh, and 300,000 uh, through all over the world. These data come from uh, an European from two European studies. This was done uh, from based on the European epidemiology and this, was, uh, this is a preliminary data 
uh, because IPNA wants to start a worldwide registry on RRT, so we did the first estimate uh, through the world. And the problem is that at that time, in 2017, 80 to 90% of them will die to RRT is renal replacement therapy because all these kids will die because they have no, no access to either dialysis or transplantation. So who takes care of children with renal disease uh, in the world? Of course, first parents. Don't forget parents. Parents first. Family members in many countries. And sometimes pediatric nephrologists, but very few, very few. It's just an image. Adult nephrologists in many countries because there is no other option. Pediatricians in general, general practitioners, and in many places, mainly in Africa, traditional medicine. But also, according to the economic level, specialized pediatric nephrology staff, which is good, we all have that here, but it's not the case in many other countries. Standard paramedicals in many places, and mostly none. And just to show you, uh, some figures. In Haiti, I think it's one of the lowest rate of pediatric nephrologists per inhabitant. 0.1 per million people in Haiti compared to 0.24 in Cameroon, not that better, 1.5 in Brazil and 2.05 in Japan, which is the country where there is the greater number of pediatric nephrologists. So, you know, we have 194 nations today, and uh, it means 194 different approaches to pediatric nephrology and to all specialties, of course. But among these 194 nations, 139 are developing. 139 are developing. That is, uh, low or middle income countries, and this represents 80% of the world population. So we are nothing. Don't forget we are nothing. So this is just a slide coming from India. I got it in 2016. Sushmita Banerjee is a member of the IPNA Council and she's in charge of patient education. And uh, she just summarized the issues in India with some challenges, a high rate of infectious morbidity mainly from AKI, delayed diagnosis of advanced CKD, CKD is chronic kidney disease, limited facilities and training, uh, there is a heavy reliance on PD, metropolitan-centric inequity, which is uh, found in many developing countries of resources and trained personnel, heterogeneity in care across centers and region, huge heterogeneity, out-of-pocket expenses, uh, with the low, low rates for dialysis and transplantation, quite no transplantation outside the big cities, uh, limited bench research because of the lack of opportunity and, of course, of resources. Some opportunities, and they are very clever and try to improve these opportunities. Facilities for training, they train a lot. And uh, you will see that uh, IPNA fellows uh, mostly come from India. They also have ISPN fellowship. Uh, there is a large population base which allows uh, a, a big number of prospective randomized studies. And you know, at that time, the uh, pharmaceutical companies have understood that. And they, uh, it's easier to have a good trial in huge centers in India, in big metropoles in India or Brazil, than in Dartmouth, it's sure, or Lyon. So uh, it's, it's a, a, new, a new approach for them. Uh, it's also a very interesting possibilities for building registries. And it's also an opportunity to, to, draw, to, to draw standard guidelines for common conditions, which is very useful in that kind of countries. You all know that uh, for any specialty in medicine, there are some specific diseases according to countries. And for example, for renal diseases, there are a lot of specific issues. And I just want to, to focus on some of them. Uh, uh, dengue is a major issue. It's not a renal disease, but it's a renal disease that affects immunocompromised patients. It's an infectious disease that affects immunocompromised patients, and it's a big issue, for example, there. 
oxalosis. I will, for those who will attend, I will speak about that, uh, about this horrible disease on uh, Wednesday morning. Friday. Friday morning, sorry, <laughs> I'm disturbed today. <laughs> On Friday morning, uh, you have a lot of stones in, in uh, Southeast Asia. You have very uh, recently in India, in Delhi, they, um, they show that they have a lot of uh, atypical hemolytic uremic syndrome in this place from un ununderstood reasons there. And um, we also have, for example, the congenital nephrotic syndrome, the Finnish type nephrotic syndrome here is not a legend. It's very common in, in Finland. Of course, in your country, you have renal effects of obesity, etc., etc. So you have many specific issues in many countries. Also, IgA nephropathy in Asia is very more common, two or three times more common in Asia than in uh, Europe or, or in the United States. And this is the incidence of renal replacement therapy in children uh, in, in some countries, mainly uh, European countries, but it's a worldwide survey. And you see that the average uh, incidence is nine per million age-related population. And here you have uh, patients less than 14, those less than 19, but in general, the bars are pediatrics. And you see that there are huge differences between Russia, for example, and New Zealand. But this is not the truth because it's a difference in terms of, uh, of um, data um, collection. And I think data collection in Russia are not that good. But the, I, I think the average is, is the truth. We are between eight, let, just remind, we are between eight and ten uh, people, uh, person per age-related population. What does background mean? Besides genetic background, there are a lot of issues that we have to, to consider, and I will speak about consanguinity later. But of course, there are issues uh, with relation and culture, with uh, infectious disease uh, that used to be specific to regions. Birth weight uh, is also important in terms of background. Early malnutrition, which uh, may uh, lead the prognosis for uh, pre-existing renal diseases, poor sanitation in many places, traditional medication which can be uh, dangerous in some cases and even in the renal point of view, uh, pollutants, climate, there are uh, recent data showing that there are good correlation between climate, hot climate and the risk of stone formation for example. Uh, access to water, and access to water is not a problem here, but in many countries it's a big problem. Just an example, I spent 1.5 years of my life in Sahara, and I got water to the tap every two weeks, some hours every two weeks, so uh, it was a little bit tricky. Access to electricity is also a very uh, big concern. And this is just to show you uh, consanguinity. This is a map of the consanguinity rate, which is mainly around the Mediterranean Sea and also in this uh, eastern part of the world. And uh, of course, in these countries, you will match poverty and uh, recessive diseases. And this is really uh, uncomfortable because some diseases like uh, oxalosis, I will speak about that because it's a good model. Not, not only I like this disease on the uh, intellectual point of view, but um, this disease needs a combined liver and kidney transplantation, which is very expensive, very hard to do. And this disease is recessive and is the most common in countries where there are no resources. So these people with such a diagnosis, uh, with such a diagnosis will die. That's it. So one recommendation, it's very sad to say, one recommendation would be that if you have an infantile form of this disease with an early diagnosis, you should leave the child die and even not start dialysis because there is no issue be behind dialysis. What does resource mean? Uh, of course, uh, gross domestic product per capita. Global Development Index, which is uh, another parameter, which is very important. 
public expenditure on healthcare, it depends because in some poor countries they give a, a big room to uh, healthcare. So it's not always related. Healthcare insurance systems, which doesn't exist at all in many developing countries, maybe half of developing countries don't have any healthcare insurance system. Even in many countries, no access to private healthcare insurance system. Access to diagnostic tests, access to available treatments, uh, adult priorities over children's care. This is a big problem because in, in many places, the access to expensive treatments starts with adults and only adults. It's forbidden to children. A good example is in nephrology is EPO, uh, erythropoietin. I know many places where it is accepted and reimbursed in adults and not in children, whereas they need it more than adults. Access to medical education of populations because of media, and the access to media is easy in many places but not in all. Salary of physicians and caregivers, this is also a big issue because many people who can help, who can uh, promote development of pediatric nephrology in public hospitals are poorly paid, sometimes not paid. It's voluntary. So they move to private and they move to general pediatrics in private, whereas they got a, a wonderful training in, in uh, Hanover or in uh, Boston or whatever. Uh, and the, the competition also between private and public hospitals. I, I, for example, I'm very sad with, uh, again, a personal story. I trained an outstanding Moroccan uh, lady who, maybe you remember her, Kenza, yeah? Uh, she was really outstanding. She spent three years with me. She was highly educated. She was familiar with transplantation, with inherited diseases, with everything. And when she came back to, to um, Casablanca, which is not the capital of Morocco, but the biggest city in Morocco, 8 million people, um, th she started in the public hospital, in the university hospital, and her salary was around 100 to $200 uh, per month, per month. So she, she stopped. She did that for two years, and then she, she stopped, and she moved to private for general pediatrics, otitis media, and et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's terrible. Some examples of resources. In 2013, I, I really started helping French-speaking countries in Africa. You know, Africa is divided um, uh, theoretically in two parts, the English-speaking part and French-speaking part, and the population of each is, uh, is equivalent. Uh, English-speaking part, because of uh, many, many, many connections, is richer than the French-speaking part, because the uh, French-speaking part are only linked to France, few to Quebec, very few, very few to Belgium, and very few to French-speaking part of Switzerland. So the, the, it's the assistance to this country is uh, more limited. So I just did a survey, a very simple survey, just to investigate the level of uh, the access to care in, in these places. And you see, I just uh, asked some questions about, can you measure plasma bicarbonate? Uh, can you provide phosphate binder? Uh, one alpha was the name. Uh, can you measure PTH? Can you use growth hormone treatment? Can you use EPO? Can you do, this is not uh, specific for you, but posterior urethral valve section is very important in newborns, but it needs uh, special uh, tubes to do that, special endoscopes to do that, uh, and also train people. But it's very important because you save the child. So can you do posterior urethral valve section? Uh, can you treat uh, acute PD? Can you do acute PD, chronic PD and transplantation? And if you look in Algeria, for example, they can do quite everything. In Benin, few things. In Burundi, nothing. They have no access to plasma bicarbonate. So what, what can you do there? I think it, you are very close to this condition in ID. You do that. 
routinely. The only problem in Haiti is that they can do a lot of things, but patients have to pay immediately before getting the results and even before getting the, the blood sample. Cameroon, a little bit more. Ivory Coast, which is a growing country, you know. For example, in Ivory Coast, EPO is limited to adults, uh, as well as in Mali. Morocco is uh, very privileged. They can do quite everything. Congo, many things. And Tunisia, uh, many things also. And this is uh, also a part of this uh, survey we are doing before starting the, the worldwide registry. Uh, again, based on estimates. This is the number of million children in uh, these continents. This is the number, the official number we know from a first uh, survey who are on RRT according to continents. This is the RRT prevalence uh, for each continent. And this is based on RRT prevalence and million children, the theoretical uh, assumed uh, on the basis of uh, 100 uh, per million child, uh, child population. And you see that we are supposed to have 165,000 uh, uh, children with, who require RRT and only 32,000 uh, are treated. It means that only 21% of children with end-stage disease can receive RRT today. So on all these bases, uh, the priority for IPNA is not organizing meetings. Of course, meetings are, are important, but uh, our priority is uh, devoted to developing countries. And um, this association was founded in 1974, and the, the mission, the official mission, is to advance the care of children with kidney disease worldwide by advocacy, research, and education. At that time, we have uh, 116 and 20 members and uh, around uh, 100 countries. But you remember, there are, it's half the countries in the world. So again, we are nothing because the countries who need more IPNA are not in the list because they cannot pay registration. So we have to, to investigate that and improve that and find people, find pilot people in these countries where uh, there is nothing, where there is a gap. So most uh, members come from North America here, uh, Europe here, Asia here, uh, Japan here, Japan is a little bit separate from Asia because it's a country where there are so many pediatric nephrologists that they have a, a special place. And we have officially seven regions, uh, the Africa, African Society, the American Society, the Asian Society, the South American Society, Australia, New Zealand, Europe, and Japanese. We have a council uh, with uh, 46 members. Uh, we work a lot, we work a lot. Well, I have uh, emails from the council at least every day. We have 18 committees, one for AKI and zero by 25 initiative. I will speak about that later. Uh, one for archives and history, one for best practices and standards, which is very useful to, to be uh, widespread all, all over the world. One for disaster action. Uh, one executive committee, one uh, for fellowship, one for, for fundraising, one for honorary members and awards, one for juniors, one for the World Kidney Day. <laughs> um, I will tell you what we do for the World Kidney Day, uh, one for the newsletter, one for the nominating committee, patient education, registry, sister centers, strategic plan implementation, teaching courses, and website and social media. So in terms of education, we have a, a big fellowship program. And if some of you are interested, I can speak to you. And you can also visit the website to see how to apply. Um, it's limited. It's a clinical fellowship. It's not a research fellowship. It's a clinical fellowship for developing countries. That's it. And with that, we uh, offer 20 to 30 fellows uh, per year, fellowships per year. 
Uh, we have an uh, um, on, ongoing updated list of training centers. The duration is between 6 to 24 months with two levels of training, level 1, level 2, and the budget is between 8,000 to 20,000 according to local requirements. And this includes not only the fellowship period, but also, uh, of course, IPNA recognition, the pediatric nephrology textbook, which is a three-volume textbook, also on the, on the net, of course, invitation at the next IPNA Congress, and one year free subscription to pediatric nephrology. And this is, I apologize for the quality of the slides, but it's, it's supposed to be better. So this is, the, <laughs> this is the number of fellows per country we had, and you see that we had fellows from many places. Um, one needle is for one country and not for one fellow. We also organize a lot of teaching courses and uh, the chair is Francesco Emma from Italy. And uh, for example, we, we organized 76 teaching courses from 2014. And this represents around 4,000 attendees to these courses. And the, the program of the courses is adapted also to local requirements. We don't decide about it, they decide about it. And the funding is between 7,000 to 10,000 per course. And also you can apply there. We also organize junior master classes. Uh, the chair is Rizan Topaloglu from Turkey. Uh, it's an advanced teaching in pediatric nephrology for people less than 40, and we have 45 to 65 participants per session. It's a seven-day program over three years because we need practice in the meantime, and the budget is $10,000 per session. There is an evaluation at each session and finally an IPNA board recognition. And we started in 2014 with uh, Europe, then 2016 with Asia, and this year in Cairo for Africa. And let's move to World Kidney Day. Uh, you all know the World Kidney Day, which will be tomorrow. Uh, and uh, the goal is information, education, and screening. And uh, IPNA has decided to fund one IPNA kidney day per year. There is a selection committee and uh, we provide a grant of $5,000 to organize that. And uh, the winner was Ivory Coast in 2015, Sri Lanka in 2016, and this year Chennai in, in India. We also have a patient education program in many, many, many languages. Not all, but many, let's say, I think at that time we had 30 different languages, so it's a, and it's a growing number, growing number of uh, education uh, documents and growing number of languages. In terms of communication, of course, we have a, a new website from uh, two weeks. We have a new website, uh, and we also are on Facebook and Twitter, and uh, <laughs> we have. Uh, uh, an application for each uh, meeting and an application for the journal Pediatric Nephrology. We have a newsletter with four issues per year with an editorial, professional information, agenda for meetings and workshops, reports from regional societies. Uh, this is very important. Note about pediatric nephrology around the world. And uh, I asked to um, each uh, Secretary General of uh, National Societies to write a report on what happens in his country. And recently, the last one I got, is not yet published, is from Venezuela. I don't know if you know the condition now in Venezuela because of corruption, because of uh, internal war, because of uh, many, many violence problems, etc., etc. And the report on pediatric nephrology in Venezuela is absolutely awful. Absolutely awful. I don't know how this can survive. Um, we also um, publish reports about the working day committees, missions, and uh, any uh, new suggestions. We have meetings, of course. Every year we have a meeting. Uh, we have the main IPNA Congress, and one year later we have uh, workshops on CKD and RT, and uh, the year after we have a workshop on. International, this is the international workshop on developmental nephrology with an overlap with physiology, neonatology, etc. Uh, this is the summary of the last congress in Brazil, in Iguazu, where the one, uh, 11, 44, 1144 participants uh, from 90 countries, and um, 
it was um, a challenge because when we organized this meeting, there was uh, two issues, Zika virus exactly in this place, and also political instability in Brazil because the president changed. So we were afraid not to have enough participants. And finally, this is the curve of registration, the green one, no, sorry, the blue one for Brazil. And this was the curve in the previous meeting in Shanghai, which was safe, easy to access. And you see, finally, we got the same result. So we were very happy with that. <coughs> this is very interesting for those who might be interested, because in May this year, we organized for the first time a, a meeting on epidemiology with basics on epidemiology and clinical research in pediatric kidney disease that will be held in Heidelberg. And uh, in 2018, we will have the 14th International Workshop on Developmental Nephrology uh, about development, regeneration, translation in Israel in IGD Resort, organized by Greg Dressler and uh, Benjamin Deckel. In 2019, we don't know yet where the Congress will take place. So we have publications. Uh, the journal, Pediatric Nephrology, I think you, many of you uh, know it. It's a high uh, impact factor journal, around three, which is good for pediatric subspecialty. Uh, and a textbook, uh, three volumes for this textbook, with a free access to electronic version for IPNA members. And we have partnerships partnerships uh, for teaching courses, mainly for teaching courses and fellowship program. And uh, <clears throat> we provide grants for young fellows and doctors uh, to all these uh, regional societies. And we provide every year, for example, to Africa, $10,000, 7.5 to Alan Nepe. you learn or when you read that many children or many adults uh, die in the world because of dehydration, because of diarrhea. They usually don't die because of dehydration. They die because of renal failure secondary to dehydration. So this is important to know. And this is the reason why the number of patients dying from AKI is very, very important in the world. And preventive measures are very accessible. So uh, ISN, there is an, uh, this, uh, this uh, project is done together with ISN, International Society of Nephrology. And uh, we have an ISN representative at the IPNA Council, who is uh, Sharon Androly from, from here, from the States. Um, there is an involvement of IPNA at ISN meetings, uh, for example, the World Congress of Nephrology that will uh, be held in, May, in April in Mexico City. We have joint programs for education, fellowship, and teaching courses, links between both websites, notes in both newsletters. And this Zero by 25 initiative is very ambitious because the goal of this initiative, and you can visit the website, is to have zero death by AKI before uh, 2027, which is a huge challenge. I don't believe we will reach it, but it's a challenge, and we have to run the challenge. And uh, my, my telephone conference in the afternoon is, is about that. <laughs> so we also are linked to many organizations with the International Humanitarian Association, SYL, Save Young Lives, SKCF, Sustainable Kidney Care Foundation, and uh, Médecins Sans Frontières for, uh, for disaster. And we are linked to international disease foundations like Nefcure for Nephrotic Syndrome, Cystinosis Foundation, Oxalosis and Hyperoxaluria Foundation, FEDERG is a European association for all inherited renal diseases, and many others. We have other actions and plans. Uh, we have revised our constitution mainly to focus on, um, let's say, abandoned countries. Uh, we have introduced uh, juniors and allied professionals. Uh, we, have, we will start this year a sister center program. We will start a worldwide RRT registry. 
we have a, we have hired a society for fundraising for that, and uh, of course we follow and update our strategic plan. So some acknowledgements to all those who take care of children, all of you here, to all those who take care of children with renal diseases, to all uh, current IMDA members and to all future IMDA members, if some of you are interested, I can speak to you. So these are the address. Thank you for your attention. So we're going to open up the uh, um, floor for questions. So given that so many of the children that have renal disease are in resource for locations, what do you think are like the major biggest impact? It sounds like hydration would be a big impact. Yes, hydration is a big preventive measure. But the, the most important um, treatment measure we can introduce with, uh, with very few um, dollars is um, acute PD. Really, the starting acute PD should be a priority in all these countries because many children die because of acute uh, of AKI and they will survive with, uh, if you treat them for a couple of days. And this is very, very important. It's, not, it's easy to, to learn. Uh, and it's not so difficult to, to start. But you see, for example, IT, uh, Judith, maybe you can comment on that because she tries to start that in Haiti and she cannot because of uh, organization issues, because of political problems, you know. It's not so easy. Easy to say, but not easy to do. You want to comment on that, Judith? About your problems. Okay. Uh, I think that um, Pierre Kosha uh, explained to you the, the main issues in Haiti. Um, since maybe April 2015, we went there and we met um, the health ministry. Um, health ministry, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and also the, the committee of the general hospital, the university hospital. And um, since that, we are waiting for their input. They don't. Um, sign the MOU, okay, but the, the, the ONG who wants to help us to start the, pro the project, they are waiting for that. And instead we have to, to, to work with another, another hospital, an NGO. Uh, maybe you heard, heard about Partners in Health, so now the project will be run by Partners in Health. Sometimes we have to deal with the stakeholders, it's, uh, it's a must, but I think that's maybe about corruption. They used to work for AIDS um, project, with AIDS project. They have uh, also sometimes, they receive the money. And the, this project, they won't give money. They will give uh, supplies uh, and everything, but they won't give money. For me, <laughs> I, I can say that um, maybe it's also where it's uh, rock with the <laughs> Ministry of Health. And sometimes we have um, good stories. Uh, yesterday night we, have, we had a dinner together and I told them a story I had in Morocco. Uh, eight to ten years ago, uh, I was asked to go uh, urgently to Morocco because um, uh, they discovered that uh, a person giving traditional medicine as a prevention treatment to be healthy in newborns uh, gave uh, acute kidney injury. And uh, when they called me, there were already uh, 16 children who died of that. They identified the, the guy, but um, this guy uh, went on giving these, uh, these drugs. It was a, an herb, a local herb. I don't remember the name exactly, but whatever. And um, he asked the, the parents to put it in water and make it boil in the baby's room. And the, 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 uh, the vapor. vapor was highly toxic. And I learned later that it was used as an experiment model by Japanese to create uh, acute tubular injury. So whatever. Uh, so then I, I went to the country and it was very easy to, to be in touch with some of my colleagues there. 
I brought uh, material for starting acute PD. They didn't do that at that time. Uh, I brought it from a pharma pharmaceutical company, Fresenius, Baxter. They provide me everything for a short period. So I went there and we treated all the children uh, survived. All the ch children who were treated survived. It was very easy to do. And this was very interesting. I didn't tell you that yesterday night. Because all, based on this example, they saw the uh, authorities so that it was uh, finally it was uh, something good it was very helpful so they decided to go on with acute pd and it was the reason why acute pd started there so you, you see sometimes a very sad event can help can help a lot similar question from the international perspective relative to the uh, dehydration and API, do you expect do you anticipate seeing rises with war-torn areas, refugee centers, and uh, natural disasters? It, it is part of the project, yes, you're right. It's, it's, uh, it's a very important, um, specific part of the project, yes. But, you know, we are connected to many, many uh, re responsible people in many places, but we don't know exactly what can be done locally. We have regular reports about that, but uh, Again, I will speak about that in the afternoon, but it's, it's very hard to do. It's the reason why this project of getting zero death by AKI um, by 2075, I don't believe it will be possible. But, you know, if we just sensibilize people about that, about, about the possibility of preventing, on preventing, before treating, preventing is a major issue. And in many places, they don't know we can prevent it. Also from information, uh, uh, just uh, another example, totally different, but in terms of prevention. Uh, again, around 10 years ago, uh, in Poland, which is not a developing country, in Poland, uh, there were a lot of mushroom intoxications because teenagers one loved to go in the forests and make their own cooking with uh, mushrooms and uh, these were ammonites and they, it's a specific uh, form of ammonites many of them had AKI uh, because of poisoning and um, some uh, recurred some um, some um, guiris survived, uh, others didn't. But it was very easy. Then they provide on the TV uh, a lot of information with pictures, with mushroom, and from that time it disappeared. So, you know, it's a very easy to do preventive measure. And there are many like that, many, many. I have a, another example in developing countries. Um, uh, in, uh, there is a lady in Ivory Coast, you know her, Laurence, was a wonderful lady who started pediatric nephrology there. And uh, one major issue in nephro-urology in Ivory Coast is um, um, schistosomia, you know, schistosomias, and they have bladder schistosomias. And uh, they did a lot of education, you know, for uh, um, leaving the water in wires. You understand what I mean? Tires, in tires, yes. <laughs> to leaving the, the, the water in tires, the rain water in tires, which was the best way to get uh, this kind of infection. So. Only based on that, with a strong policy everywhere, you have uh, pictures with uh, tires and uh, leave the water from tires, etc. And it was very easy, and the number of uh, bladder schistosomias uh, decreased significantly. It's a simple thing to do. Sorry, I, there was another question well, I, there. I wanted to thank both our adult nephrology colleagues and our global health program for bringing two fine pediatric nephrologists from France and from Haiti. It's a real honor for you guys to be able to come here to raise our awareness and talk to us about international pediatric nephrology issues. And my question is to both of you, you're coming to speak here with us today. Um, in terms of support, partnership, um, when you come to speak to a tertiary care center in the United States or in Western Europe, what is the best way that we can help or facilitate or assist some of these concerns in developing countries? 
I think be open to knowledge, <laughs> just to know, and, and I think try to help directly. I, I strongly, when you are not a society, I strongly believe in one-to-one -one link. So if you have just one link with one developing country, and if you do your best in terms of funding, <coughs> helping, providing drugs, training nurses, training uh, physicians, it's the greatest you can do. I, I do think that if here all of you have a one-to-one -one link, you, can you imagine? It's, uh, and it's, I think it's good to do. And you, you, it's very fascinating because when you start uh, such a program, it's, it's a, a very um, virtuous circle. I don't know if I reply. <laughs> I'm particularly interested in the uh, fellowship programs that you provide. How do you uh, raise the funds for that? Where do the funds oh, come from? Good question. Come from our society. And we are, I must confess, a rich society because the, 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 receive the, the way is easy to, to, to tell. We have a journal which is a good uh, source of uh, funding. And uh, quite all our funds come from the journal. And we also have some funds from uh, companies, but this is going down. Uh, from uh, Congress registrations, but it's, it's minor. The, let's say 75% comes from the journal. And the journal is published by Springer. Springer is rich. Springer likes us. And no, 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 it's, it's true, because I, I think they have understood that. I, I often speak to uh, uh, Springer marketing people of these issues. So they agree to send the journal for free in many places. You know, we can arrange many things. Uh, they are open to that. Uh, of course, they are business people, but they are open to that. I have a follow-up question to that. Um, you showed us the graph with 243 fellows uh, all across the world. Yeah. Do you have a mechanism to assess how long they stayed there? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 We know everything about it. Um, the only thing we don't know, uh, we know um, what they do because they have to write a report and we do a synthesis of these reports. The only thing we, we would need is uh, what do they do in the long term. We know in the short term, during the first year after uh, finishing the fellowship, but we don't know uh, maybe five years after that. And we, we have decided to, to do a survey about that because we know that uh, <coughs> uh, around one third of them leave pediatric nephrology for local reasons, they, 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 they remain sensitive to, to pediatric nephrology, but they move to general pediatrics, uh, often for financial reasons. Maybe I could just say a word. Sure. Um, you know, we were talking about how do you make this work, and, and um, you know, one of the things I just wanted to say was that uh, you know, at the time of the earthquake, there was a great sentiment that Dartmouth stands with Haiti. And, and, and you know, I kind of, in, in the initial period, there was this, this frenzy and this incredible support that ultimately evaporated. And, and so institutions, I, I mean, I was very disappointed by that and actually paralyzed by the lack of institutional support. And really what's come behind the scenes is it's about individual relationships and partnerships. And just as an example, um, uh, you, you know, I, I have small funds. I, I had a $10,000 grant from the Department of Medicine. One of my patients wrote me a $10,000 check. I took care of her mother, and she said, how can I help? And I, was, I said, well, you know, we could, and I couldn't believe that. So, so the, my point is that sometimes it's, it's from un, unclear sources, and this money has been used to bring residents here from Haiti, from, from a partner in Haiti, Philippe Cleofat, who you, some of you have met. Um, we arranged things like with, uh, with uh, Sal Costa in cardiology that people come and learn how to do very specific things with echocardiography, how to measure ejection fraction, how to measure valve area. So very targeted things. They spend two weeks. Um, you know, my wife and I put them up at the house. I mean, so, so, so the point is that, that um, it, you know, you can do things with a small amount of money um, just for, to avoid we, we did. Uh, and, and I think that, that that's the way to look at it is the, the, now the technician who works in Sal's lab wants to go to Haiti. He's inc incredibly talented, wants to go down there and, and teach people how to do that. And I think across the organization, we, we're trying to bring renal biopsies here because they stopped doing them at the Brigham 
for some reason. And everybody in pathology is really excited. All the technicians want to, you know, because it's a way for people to contribute and do things uh, for, for a global health project. But it's all through individuals. And so I just would encourage people to, to, to look, at their, look at their own situation and try to create a relationship one-on-one. -on -one. And I'm hope the nice thing about Haiti is it's very close. So it's, it's almost, it's just an hour after Miami. So, so, so it's, <laughs> so it's, uh, it's an easy, easy to get people here and for you to go there. Um, so, and for this event, um, uh, today at noontime at 12.15, we're going to have another M&M that's going to talk about an adolescent with renal disease. So you might want to come to that. Tomorrow at noon is a conference. It's just out in A and B, is it? Right over there, yeah, A and B, and you're welcome to come to that. Uh, Pierre's going to talk about um, inherited kidney, inherited stone disease, stone disease, and then Friday morning is medical grand rounds, and you're all welcome to come to that. And that's going to be about oxalosis. But, but anyway. I think we have time. I think Steve, you had one comment. No, no, I, I just thought it was great. It was such a great review, and sort of articulating, I think, the unifying dilemma of working in the developing world, which is most of the problems are easy, but the solutions are difficult. And, and I really applaud you for, I, I think, having this network across the world allows, you know, and I would say that's one of the best ways people can help, because that really yeah. allows people to compare experiences, you know, and yeah, I mean, all over the world, some of the problems are corruption, yep. including, frankly, everywhere. The States. Everywhere. <laughs> On France, too. <laughs> we just hide it a little bit. Um, but, but, but they're, and they're all unique, but everything, what you learn in Morocco, as you've demonstrated, has you know, ramifications in Haiti. And um, you know, I think this idea of Getting people to believe that things can actually be better yeah, yeah. Is, is often the first step. Yeah, right. I agree. And we also think that maybe it's a speculation that the, this initiative of a registry will be very stimulating because it's, it's a, a small dose of research that we put in any country. You just need a computer. Uh, an internet connection, which is uh, available everywhere, I think, and uh, it's a collaborative work, and it will help uh, sensitization of politics of many in many places. And I think we we got a, a really a very strong enthusiasm when we started with this project. May every I, nobody refused this offer, nobody at all. Everybody was very enthusiastic, and people were fighting to be the, the local uh, corresponding person. So it's, it was great. It was great, yes. I think that's wonderful. I think we're out of time. I want to thank on behalf of the chair of the Children's uh, uh, Hospital at Dartmouth, on behalf of the, uh, the Grand Rounds Committee, um, I want to thank Brian Remillard from Adult Nephrology, and I want to thank you all for being here, and especially uh, Dr. Kashat. We look forward to hearing more about the zero by 25. <laughs> a little bit later. <laughs> Thank you.